Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, and uh, happy Halloween. Uh, yeah. Oh, what are you going to you... dress up as, Dan? Um, or to go to parties over the weekend? Yeah, I, I'm going to go today yeah. when I go trick or treating. I'm going to go as that um, that ogre from Game of Thrones. Uh, what was his name? Um, <laughs> oh, John Fetterman. John Fetterman. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that uh... seems to be a popular costume this year. Uh, I noted uh, over the weekend a picture was posted of our fair governor and his first lady in yeah. uh, in dress up. Yeah, they well, like to dress up the politicians and say, you know, the Rona Busters and the Blues Brother, uh, and and now we have what do we have? Well, first Dr. Wardy had a press conference and she was dressed up as not a Rona Buster. She had a she was a, dressed up as a witch and she had a crystal ball in front of her predicting about COVID cases. Isn't that fun? Um, and then Pritzker and his wife decided to dress up as Clark Kent Superman. So there's a Superman T-shirt underneath his suit, and he had the yes. That was dark that wasn't a T-shirt. That was a circus tent. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and then so his it, wife was Wonder Woman with the golden lasso and the boots and the yeah. belt, but she didn't look like Linda Carter because nobody looks like Linda Carter. I had a, did a little caption contest on social media for this after I saw that picture. Oh, my my offering was what? What? for anyone who's seen the talented Mr. Ripley. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? <laughs> um, but uh, but but so I think the 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 best combination of offerings I saw for their Superman and Wonder Woman, Supperman, and I wonder if that's a woman. <laughs> So, Prob- probably that's pretty good. Yeah. Who tweeted that? That's really Supperman good. Superman, and it's a it's a, it's a group <laughs> effort. Superman, and I wonder if that's a woman. That's what came to mind. In addition to uh, uh, all sorts of other less than complimentary oh, reviews. Oh, I know. This is just on a fun note because we've got a big well, week of politics here yeah. with uh, just uh, election day, just um, a week from tomorrow. But uh they did one of these uh, surveys uh you know the candy companies pitching their wares candystore.com did a survey of the favorite candies by state oh I can't favorite even candies imagine. by state yes um what 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 is your favorite candy um hands almond joy i and i don't like candy i like french fries mm. i don't like i'm not a big chocolate person i don't crave it Every Halloween, though, I'll buy something that has, uh, like, multiple different candy bars in it, but if you have Almond Joys in it, I will take them out before trick-or-treating begins. Well, sure. That's because that's mom like, attacks. Yeah, because, like, uh, like Bruce Jenner or Lori Lightfoot, sometimes you feel like you have nuts and sometimes you don't. Hey-oh. 
Um, uh, what's your favorite candy? Mm, I like um, Swedish fish and hot tamales. Of course you like Swedish fish. I do oh, like dear. Swedish fish and hot tamales. And hot tam- oh, hot tamales. Yeah. Ugh. What um, I can't Ill- stand is good and plenty. Oh, so gross. Illinois' uh, favorite candy, favorite candy of Illinoisans. Three one two six four two fifty. No, it's not. It's not. A, I'm not oh. taking questions on it. It's uh, this is just the survey Fact. results. Right, what is it? I, I interrupted it's you. Sour Patch Kids. Oh, that's what. Sour Patch Kids. Maybe that's why everybody in the state walks around with, like they've got a with a sour puss on their face. Right. Yeah. Uh huh. Those things uh, are disgusting. Have you had one of those? My kids love those. Yeah. Minnesota, it's hot tamales. Nevada's hot tamales. I gotta think where I'm gonna move. Uh, Minnesota, hot tamales, hot tamales, hot tamales. Yeah. South Dakota, Jolly Ranchers, that's not bad. Ew, that'll take mm. your crown off. But, yeah, Sour Patch Kids, maybe that's, maybe that says something. Oh, Georgia, Swedish Fish. I could move to Georgia. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, um, my son likes Swedish Fish, if he'd ever call me back or text me. But when you're talking about candy and you're talking about Halloween, obviously politics is in- injected. So there were some real think pieces over the weekend, like from the Washington Post, the Amazon Post, Jeff Bezos's uh, little uh, vanity project. Yeah. How can you make more socially conscious Halloween candy choices? Oh, oh here we go. Yeah. So candy's mm-hmm. racist now. If I choose no, one well, candy over the other, it's sort of. It's it's uh, it, it has an environmental component that of oh, course of implicates course. race because everything does chocolate a fixture of halloween can have serious environmental climate and social impacts <laughs> while chocolate is a crowd pleaser the ubiquitous candy has some pretty close associations with two of the biggest environmental crises we faced right now and that's the climate crisis and the biodiversity crisis you thought you were just having a oh Reese's God. peanut butter cup. Just and wanted to go trick-or-treating. Instead, you were destroying Western civilization. Nice job, kids. What's more, much of the individually wrapped candies plucked from bowls at parties or hauled home at the end of the night contribute to the spooky holidays waste problem. Halloween is killing our country. Yeah. Uh, serious. These are these are your serious journalists. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh the um, environmental problem of, of what? Well, the rappers. They're an oh, environmental right. horror. Yep. Clogging the up the landfills. Re- National Retail as a Federation estimates $2.6 spent on candy and Halloween, roughly annually. Mendy candy wrappers contain plastic and aluminum and cannot be recycled. Well, there you go. Recycling mixed materials like candy wrappers or potato, chips ba- potato chip bags. There's another environmental horror. Simply too labor-intensive and expensive to be worth it. Too small to pass through a recycling machine. So they're diverted to a landfill where plastics make up only 20% of, mun- of municipal solid waste. A waste uh, during um, uh, So doting parents and, and eager children alike look forward to getting dressed up in creative costumes with the reward of full buckets of treats. But when the customer trick-or-treating started in the 30s and 40s, children were given everything from homemade cookies and pieces of cake to fruit, nuts, coins, and toys. I remember you one of the parents. Toys. Were you one of the parents that gives out coins by any chance? Um, I was thinking about giving out pennies this year, but then I thought that my neighbors. Then you thought you'd my... be hated in the neighborhood more. Hated. More, more so. Then mm-hmm. I was thinking, well, I could really walk them. Then I'll put my Darren Bailey sign <laughs> on my lawn today, and I'll see how many trick or treaters come up to my house because I'm sure their parents won't even let them 
would be a nice did little you, social experiment. Since you were around at the time, did you used to get pieces of cake when you trick or treat? We got yes, we got chocolate cake from Mrs. Wagner, I do believe. And then how do you put get that those, in your bag? Well, you just hold it in a napkin, and then you eat it right there. Oh, I see. No checking of that mm-hmm. to make sure there's you know any paper clips in there. But remember the um, and Mike, maybe you can help us out. Remember that it was a popcorn ball that was it was held together with caramel and it oh, was yeah. homemade. What were those called? Popcorn balls. Popcorn oh, balls. I love popcorn balls. Yeah. Boy, oh, yeah. That's a, oh. boy, a noted Halloween historian, Amy Jacobson. Uh, <laughs> well, that was years. That Here. was decades uh, let ago. Let me Google that a minute. Popcorn <laughs> yeah. Mike, ball. what are you handing out today? Popcorn in a ball. Yeah, it's popcorn ball. Popcorn ball. You're not handing out popcorn. What are you handing out? No, we're handing out candy. I, I'm not a fan Coins. of Halloween anyway. So Why? Yeah. Oh, I just can't stand it. It's too much. <laughs> it's too much. Hey. What do you mean I, it's too much? I just your kids get free candy. What's wrong with that? I, I'm convincing uh, like Eli. Halloween. I said, Eli, you're a senior in high school. I want to go trick or treating with him in West Graceland. Those mm-hmm. beautiful houses there, because yeah, I heard sure. they give out real big, like the big big candy bars. So I just thought we would. I do yeah. a fight. That I up. do have a fight every year with Melissa over over having my stash of full size candy bars, mm-hmm. which I do have, by the way, and I'll hand them oh, out boy. to select well dressed. You do one of those, you shame. Oh, sure. Costume shame the kid. No, I, I don't yeah, shame you, them. Hey, little Jimmy, the, you didn't put in the effort <laughs> That's this right. year. Can, can, right. can, I, can I translate it for you, Amy? Yes. Uh, since this is uh, this, this, these concepts are baffling to you. He gives out full candy bars to people who aren't dressed like whores. How about that? Since that's a, a new staple of Halloween. A responsible costume. Yes, exactly. Responsible costume. Yeah. Um, by but the it, way, that, yes. that that stash of full candy bars, Mike, that sounds like a super fun site. <laughs> you better be careful. <laughs> you, you have no idea where that thing has been stashed for the last yeah. four weeks, and Melissa doesn't either. But when does trick-or-treating, is it, it when it gets dark? Is it after school? Because people have been trick-or-treating no. all right. month. Three to seven. Three, three to eight. In okay. most suburban communities, three to seven, three to eight. I'm gonna miss Ronnie Woo Woo's birthday party then. Yeah, That's if you guys six. could could uh, dispense with your, you know, <laughs> mindless talk about the uh, peculiarities of Halloween and the well, fun people are having, while I'm over here trying to save the planet and listen up. All right, <laughs> this is what everybody needs to do. Find niche recycling services like Terra Circle, Terra Cycle, which handles materials that are difficult to recycle. Up, sky, up cycle wrappers into crafts. Take all your candy wrappers and have a craft. Oh. Yeah, yeah like that, the crafts. guy from prison who made me a purse out of Starbucks. Or not Starbucks. I mean Starburst wrappers. Right. Yeah. yeah. And your he, parents, and he... let's ruin another holiday <laughs> Absolutely. for America. Yeah, absolutely. Here, upcycle your wrappers and let's make a purse. <laughs> yeah. Or a dress. Yeah. A prom, prom dress. Yeah, it goes along goes That's along with great. that pocketbook he made for Amy out of human hair. Uh, buy candy in bulk. Yeah, you we know, did that because candy is 20% wrappers. expensive, more expensive than it was last year. Mm-hmm. Should have just saved it from last year and passed it off. It was 2022. What's what's Justin? Is Justin going as uh, oh, Justin. Justin Bieber again this year? What is he doing? Justin, what are you going to do? For the first year, I'm not doing anything, <gasps> which is sad. He's, He's all grown up because oh, yeah. he got engaged. Really? And now my parents, they're not doing candy either. And oh. I'm I'm worried that they might get a little targeting. Wait, wait, wait. They have to. Uh, that's what I told them. No, no, no. You, you know, come on. Just tell them to do the old standby. Turn off all the lights, hide in the basement, pretend you're not home. <laughs> that's what you do, right? Oh, but you don't have a home right now. So no, I don't, I don't pretend. I say, get off of my lawn. <laughs> not interested. 
Did what you does ever? this no soliciting sign mean? <laughs> Scoot. Scatter. Oh, I bet you'd be so cute if somebody came to your joint and said trick-or-treat and you had nothing. You'd probably hand him a $5 bill, right? I hand, I hand out copies <laughs> of The Law by Frederick Bastiat. <laughs> Go tell your or parents the pocket to read this. Constitution. Here you go, son. Go tell your parents to read this so they stop voting Democrat in this godforsaken state. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anna and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Before you see it on TV, share it on Facebook or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, Equal housing lender. Signature Bank. See Larry Elder, Brandon Tatum, Alex Berenson, and many more at Freedom Summit Chicago. Tickets available at freedomsummitchicago.com. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So are you buying the official story on the attack at the Pelosi home where Paul Pelosi was brained with a hammer and uh, had to be taken to hospital under go surgery. Apparently, apparently the report is he's going to be fine, which is great. But uh, the official story on what transpired. Well, three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line, or you can text us at six four six three six. Type in DA, then a quick comment. So the official story is uh, some guy figures out how to break into question mm-hmm. mark the Pelosi household in Pacific Heights in San Francisco. And then Paul calls police at some point, and this is being presented as he craftily called police, not alerting them, not alerting the uh, the person in his home that he was making the 911 call. Here's they what spoken code, they say. Yeah, right. Here's what here's what here's how dispatch communicated it to. Send a car to the Pelosi home. Car, a priority nine ten two six four zero Broadway, cross of Scott and Normandy. Hey, fourteen hour copy. RP stated that there's a male in the home and that he's going to wait for his wife. RP stated that he doesn't know who the male is, but he advised that his name is David and that he is a friend. RP sounded somewhat confused. Is a friend. RP sounded somewhat confused. Twelve hour back and copy. Units code three to twenty six forty Broadway for fourteen hour. So he stated he didn't know who he was, but he was a friend. And this, I guess, is being presented as, well, this was part of his ruse to get first responders there without alerting the person in his home. But then when first responders arrive, they tell us that they were upstairs. Well, here, yeah. Uh, like, well, in a fight, so who opened the door to let them in? 
Well, here's what the San Francisco okay. police chief, yes. William Scott, said at his briefing. When the officers arrived on scene, they encountered an adult male and Mr. Pelosi's husband, Paul. Our officers observed Mr. Pelosi and the suspect both holding a hammer. The suspect pulled the hammer away from Mr. Pelosi and violently assaulted him with it. Our officers immediately tackled the suspect, disarmed him, took him into custody, requested emergency backup, and rendered medical aid. Whose hammer, so, though? They still don't know if it was the suspect's hammer or Pelosi's hammer. That's not the point. So, so the police arrive on scene. You got two guys, each with a hammer, and then the one guy assaults Pelosi with the hammer in the police in the presence of police. Mm. Well, then we need to see the body cam video from police, and that is something that is uh, being asked for right now because if they're on the scene and this alleged attack happened, then we should see it. We have a right to see it because there's a number of questions. Who, who let them in? There's reports of a third person that was there. Um, also, the security camera was turned off inside their house. And why was their alarm off at 227 in the morning? That's when you turn your alarm on before you go to bed. Unless yeah, so, you're just getting home. So I know the Secret Service de- detail is with Nancy in D.C. However, um, I've been Tour around house, Nancy right? Pelosi's house yeah. in Pacific Heights. So and when when me and a buddy went up there just to see it, you know, we didn't stop in for Stalker. any sort of, you know, confab with Paul Pelosi. But there was there was a like a white van outside that was clearly there to keep an eye on the Pelosi house. So how is it that this guy? I mean, there are conflicting reports about what he was or wasn't dressed in when he arrived at the home. Well, David definitely DePape or whatever he the suspect. They said that he was in his underwear. Yeah, but that's in the house, and the question is, did he? Go- but re- regardless. How does he get in? Well, NBC and ABC on Saturday were claiming that he got in through a sliding um, back glass door. And then you see a picture of the the, the glass door in back, and it appears, since all the glass is on the outside, that the glass was broken from the inside. It had to have been. That is not in question. So it's not like somebody's trying to break in. It was like somebody's trying to break out, unless that was part of the kerfluffle. So he got in through a sliding glass door in the back that was open? That was unlocked. Yes, they both both publications said that it was unlocked. So an unlocked back door, no surveillance camera, no other no security presence otherwise, and then the cops show up and they don't have they don't have a confrontation. Apparently, I mean that's a physical one where Paul Pelosi is is hurt until they're actually on site. What? So my PI friend from Los Angeles, he's now in San Francisco. I talked to him yesterday. So he's, they're going to ask for the body cam video from police, the home surveillance tapes, neighbors' tapes to see. You know, maybe he didn't go through the front door, but he went through the back door so they couldn't see him. Um, and then, you know, it's a $6 million mansion. They're also checking local bars to see if Mr. Pelosi was there, um, you know, gay and straight bars to see what, what he was doing <clears throat> before the attack. Uh huh. But but this the official story that you I'm sure have seen emanating from the D.C. press corps is where's Nancy political violence. You got to take down all the commercials that the Republicans have been running that feature Nancy Pelosi. This was this was the talking point they all shared with the brain that they share. 
yesterday. Chuck Todd, that yapping terrier on Meet the Press. The rise of threats of violence in our politics, deep divisions within America that have normalized an increasingly hostile rhetoric. As we said at the top of the show, there are forces inside the GOP that have painted the speaker as a political boogeyman. Negative ads featuring Pelosi have been running in congressional races for more than a decade. Forces inside the GOP. Yeah, Chuck, uh, this this experienced hand on the hill. They're called the campaign committees. I mean, this is remarkable. There is nothing more banal than the campaign ad that takes candidate X, connects candidate X to unpopular politician of in their party, Speaker Y or President Y, and says candidate X voted with Speaker Y 99% of the time. Some San Francisco liberal, or when it was Newt Gingrich for speaker, for example, candidate X uh, voted with you know, crypto conservative, uh, anti-American, threat to democracy. Newt Gingrich, nine That is so unremarkable. These ads that have been running, but now hysteria that anybody would say Lauren Underwood has voted ninety-nine percent of the time with Nancy Pelosi or whatnot. Tom Emmer, who's the chairman of the National Republican Congressional Committee. He's a Republican from Minnesota. He was on with Margaret Brennan on Face the Nation. Same sort of exchange. Oh, that. I never saw anyone after Steve Scalise was shot by a I'm Bernie Sanders right supporter now, trying to equate, equate Democrat now. rhetoric with those actions. Please don't do that. that no, okay, looking at your candidates, Republican candidates have spent more than $116 million on ads that mention Speaker Pelosi by name in this cycle. <gasps> If this is about the issues, why should you make it about the issues? Why not depersonalize it? It is absolutely about the issues. It's about the fact that we have double-digit inflation, exploding, exploding cost of living. We've got a crime wave across this country that is In the direct moment, result. We are eight the days out. Don't you think this needs to change? Why not Again. pull some of these ads? Why not just delete your tweet? I'm sure, I'm sure people like to talk about anything but what the Democrats have done to this country. Pull, pull the ads, pull the depersonalize ad. them. Talk about the issues. Well, hey, if somebody is a toady for leadership and just presses red or green based on what they're told to do, that is actually a substantive issue, Margaret Brennan. You wouldn't know that because, you know, you're just a press flack for the for the Democrat Party, just like Chuck Todd is, just like most of the D.C. press corps. I mean, but the argument are the arguments are beyond silly. Take Nan- You're not allowed to invoke Nancy Pelosi's name. She's the Speaker of the House. She's the third in line of the president. Exactly. Well, here's the thing, too. And they keep saying this, this is a Trump extremist. He's not. This is a hemp jewelry maker 42 years old was married has three kids but he, he he's a nudist and he was you know there's a lot of pictures of him at his former wife's there was a nudist wedding uh that he attended he's he lived in a school bus he lived in a school bus in front of a, a house with a with blm, a BLM yep. and a and a lgbtq flag right this he's, is not a, some political like operative republican he's a he's a crazy man well, neighbors described him as potentially having some mental health issues, but regardless, I mean, with drugs and posted, the, the, he posted the, crazy stuff about conspiracy theories. Yeah, uh, right. So uh, but there's not quite as crazy as the stuff you hear on Sunday talk shows, but but nonetheless, uh, Michael Schellenberger, who's a you know noted environmental activist, uh, and he's actually challenging. Newsom for governor in California. Oh. The media are portraying the suspect in the attack on Nancy Pelosi's husband as a man fundamentally driven by right-wing ideology, but it's obvious to anyone who looks at what drove this guy to violence was drug-induced paranoid psychosis. Well, obvious, but those obvious things are easily subordinated to 
the story that we're coming up with, perhaps to cover for Paul, but certainly to try to make political hay, as Margaret Brennan would say, eight days before an election. <laughs> I mean, what, I don't. Like, I mean, it is, it, so they're so unserious. The idea of having to pull ads that invoke Nancy Pelosi or Nancy Pelosi is off limits. Are you kidding me? Rand Paul was attacked yeah. in political ads when he ran for reelection by name because that's what you do when you're uh, making a case for your candidate and against the other candidate. Rand Paul, nobody's been mentioning his name over the weekend, beaten by a neighbor. That was perp- that was explicitly for political reasons. And nobody invokes that. I know. And then President Biden gets up there. You can't just say, I feel badly about the violence. We condemn it. Condemn what produces the violence. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's just the whole the crazy this is extremist the whole voice. Right. This is the whole company line. And that's what you're going to hear for as long as they can get away with it. Why was the police chief of San Francisco crying? I mean, just listen. He, get a grip, dude. This was intentional. <laughs> Families don't sign up for this to be harmed. And it is wrong. And everybody should be disgusted. Why is he crying? I mean, other people in his town get beaten and killed every day. But he only cries over Paul Pelosi. Give me a break. Karen and Beecher. It's Craig Garvin, male, prostitute. (laughs) No ifs, ands, and buts about it. You're spending the night with Fred Garvin. Male prostitute. Could be. I don't know. Well, well they're see. looking into his past record. That's what one Fred of my Garvin's? P.I. Price. No, Thanks David DePoppy to see if he was a male prostitute because they're, they're trying to redact parts of his criminal record. Like, no, no, no. Everybody needs to see his entire criminal record. Perhaps Dan Aykroyd's best character on Saturday Night Live. Oh, yeah. Tina and Juliet. Hey, guys. I just wanted to say that if we've heard it once, we've heard it a thousand times. The only thing that can stop a bad guy with a hammer is a gay guy with a hammer. <laughs> oh, we... <laughs> Thanks for the call, Tina. Pelosi was hammered, and then he got. I know. Well, hammered. what time did he enter his house? So that we got to get those records to when he turned off the alarm. Yeah. You know when he got home. Got to turn it back on. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You know how that works. Uh, Pat and Lockport. Good morning, guys. You know, maybe he was too damn drunk to turn the thing back on. I was getting out of work Friday, and I heard that on the radio. And, you know, you could smell that pile of crap all the way from Frisco. What moron would start a story like that about Pelosi being a, uh, old man Pelosi being attacked? Somebody broke into his house with all the glass on the outside, like you said, Amy. I mean, there's so many holes in that story. It's worse than a piece of uh, Swiss cheese. These people are so stupid. And then you got the the officer saying they had to wait until Pelosi was smacked before they took the, the hammer from the supposed perpetrator. Right. I, it, and this is, it, it, you know, it, it just pales. It, it just pales in comparison to complete idiocy. How dumb do these people think we really are to buy that pile of garbage? Oh, you have no idea how dumb they think you are. I mean, this is a few weeks after he got a DUI, and it wasn't just a fender bender, guys. You need to see the video of him, too, talking to police. He's hammered. Maybe this is a cry for help. Maybe he shouldn't be home alone. (gasps) And Nancy should come home and help her husband. Mm -hmm. In what voice was the where's Nancy? Yeah, where's Nancy? Was that what was that said? Was it said like, where's Nancy? Like, here's Johnny. Or was it said like, where's Nancy? Like, where's Nancy? Stop it. Like, I need to see her now, please. Like role playing. I don't know. 
Oh, I see. What I mean, you're I saying. don't. You know, I don't oh. want to be. I don't want to be cast. You know, oh. cast with the the lot the likes of uh, Elon Musk here. You know, and be accused well. of being a conspiracy theorist. But, but I mean, this story is. Very odd. Well, we're still waiting to see who Paul Pelosi was drinking with the night he got the DUI. Okay, well, let's just, let's right, just sorry, focus sorry, on this. Yes. I mean, it's just, this is a little, No, nobody has any questions about this. We're just going to go with the pearl clutching of Chuck Todd and Margaret Brennan. And the president. Yeah. Well, all, you know, the, and the rest. Oh, I mean, a, at all. They all say the same thing. Rich well, he's Indian in court Hyde today. Park. I can't wait to see if he says anything. Hey, Rich. Yes, good morning, Dan. Good morning. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. Happy Halloween. Um, the thing that I see about this is when Paul Pelosi called the police department, wouldn't the screener know the address, and wouldn't they know that's the Speaker of the House's home? And wouldn't they have the police out there as uh, faster than lightning? They did. Well, they, well, they did I get mean, out it, there. it doesn't make any sense. Well, the dispatcher, yeah, but- Heather Greaves, is being hailed as a hero because she was coding and figured out what was happening plugged in the address, realized, oh, that's Speaker Pelosi's house. Yeah. So they sure. <clears throat> redirected officers to the house immediately. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure somebody with that status, they should know what that address is when it comes over instead of, well, Rich, 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 Rich. They yeah. did, and yeah. police were dispatched. But I want so the that, body cam the video. I Thanks want the, the police call. body cam video. They owe it to us. If you want the body cam, if you want to see what the body cam video looks yeah. like, you just go watch Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> Craig in Mount Greenwood. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy, and uh, thanks for taking my call. Hey, there's a couple of things I did. did uh, well, one thing we know that uh, when that window was broken on the out, or with the glass on the outside, somebody probably called for a wellness check because somebody heard that. They heard that loud noise or whatever. And what they should do is well, they should Paul check called. them again. Huh? Well, Paul Pelosi but, is the one who called. Oh, he called? Okay, well, they yeah. better check the handles of those uh, hammers and see if there's any feces on them or anything. Because I don't think they were... The fact that they both had them, and it's probably like a boy toy situation or something, there's something fishy going on with that whole situation. Yeah, okay. Well, there's one hammer, yeah. and they don't know right now, and police said that last night. They don't know if it belongs to the suspect or if it belonged to Paul Pelosi. What do you mean there's one hammer? You heard William Scott say they both, they each each one had a hammer. Okay, well, that is just weird. Well, I mean, well, okay. Well, it's not okay, bad enough. Just, they're both in their underwear. Let's, let's understand what 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 the police sure? chief is telling us. Okay. What do you mean? That's exactly what he just said. We just played the clip. <laughs> the police showed up, and both men had a hammer. And then, uh, what's his name? The the assailant took the hammer out of Paul Pelosi, took his hammer away, and hit him in the head with a I'm hammer sure. with police right there. Sure then police did. tackled him. I'm sure he did. Oh boy. Bill and Waukegan. I love a parade. Hey, I just wanted to say hey, thanks for taking my call. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Um, you know, I think that uh, Speaker Pelosi called her husband and said, hey, listen, we're going to have to fake something. So you, you, I need you to take one for the team. Um, so if you wouldn't mind, uh, you know, fake something really good to make it seem like the, you know, the red, uh, the red left or no, the, uh, the right activists, the white supremacists that we all are as Republicans were trying to hurt you in some way, shape, or form. So he tried the best, I think, that he could, and sure enough, he's probably going to get away with it. You know what this reminds me of? What? Lee Miglin? Lee Miglin? Mm -hmm. No, this reminds me of Jesse Smollett. Yeah. Yep. Uh, This reminds me of this, uh, you know, it's not— Or Bubba Wallace. It's not a perfect parallel. But not just just this 
uh, curious thing that happened and the uh, the story that we're supposed to believe. But like the official line and then all the politicians from the top of the federal government on down of a particular persuasion left rushing in mm-hmm. to cover like they did for Jesse Smollett, Kamala Harris oh, and, right. the, you know, the, all of this lynching talk and so on and so forth when it was Jesse Smollett. And now we get all of this right wing extremist political violence talk from those same suspects. They it's not, it's not that they never learn. It's this is what they do. Big difference. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word app to 64636 to download the app today. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, the D.C. Press Corps' insatiable demand for stories that fit their talking points. So when those stories don't materialize organically, when they don't actually happen in the real world, well, you just manufacture them. Right. Hoaxes. The D.C. press corps perpetuation of hoaxes for all of the talk about from that from their perspective about what constitutes fake news and who or what institution are threats to democracy. They are the purveyors of hoaxes unapologetically. I've got one from from Russian collusion to Jesse Smollett. Uh, Now we turn our attention to Elon Musk. Oh, this this was spectacular because they had me going. I watched the first guy and I was like, oh, this is real. It was all fake. Whatever. Beautiful. Whatever Elon Musk ends up doing with Twitter, whether he really makes it more of a free marketplace of ideas or he doesn't whether he turns it around to be a sustainable business, particularly after those golden parachutes they're paying out to departing executives. The reaction he's getting from the left, which he's been getting since the idea of him buying Twitter first surfaced, is so instructive. And so is the coverage of said reaction. So the gaggle of press waiting outside Twitter headquarters for people to come out and talk to them. What's really going on on the inside? Our head's rolling. What's happening? And uh, two enterprising pranksters 
took the opportunity to take advantage of this performatively credulous press corps. First up, Daniel Johnson. And we should say they're walking out. They have a box, so it looks like they're actually, you know, got fired. Yeah, they dressed up uh, for Halloween as the cliche of somebody who's been fired and has to pack up all their belongings in a banker's box. Daniel Johnson addressing the press corps about his termination, supposedly a Twitter data engineer. I just got let go. Um, I'm a data engineer. We've been having a lot of problems, and uh, apparently Elon just came in and pulled the plug on the whole team. How are you feeling? Terrible. I feel really bad. I feel really shitty. Um, How are you letting um, uh, I My director came by in person and did it, which I did appreciate, but it was definitely, um, yeah, it was to a group of us. How long have you worked at Twitter? Six years. And what's your opinion on Elon Musk in general and what he's doing here? I mean, I own a Tesla, and I don't know how I'm going to make car payments now. Like, I generally respect Elon Musk. Obviously, some of the stuff he said lately is concerning to me. Um, but, yeah, now I'm really worried. I'm really worried. It's really the culture shift. There's a lot of people that were leaders and, you know, things like diversity, equity, and inclusion. I know those people are going. Um, it's going to be a different Twitter in a week. Elon Musk has spoken a lot about making the platform more free speech in his own words. What do you make of that? What do you think Twitter will look like? I mean, a free speech is, you know, Nazis saying that, uh, you know, trans women shouldn't, you know, use women's uh, locker rooms, then awesome, I guess, mission accomplished. We'll see. Listen, I got to touch base with my husband and wife. I got to get out of here, all right? What, what thank you, guys. What, what's your name? Sorry. Daniel, thank Thanks you. For your last name. I got to touch base with my husband and wife. He's in a thruple. Yes. Not, not no a tip-off. Even, not, no, not I, a tip-off at all. Yeah. I own a Tesla. Uh, uh, Nazis, the Nazi invocation. Yeah. And I have to touch base with my husband and wife. Not a tip-off. <laughs> no questions about that. At face value, run with it. Did they didn't even make him show, you know, his badge or any proof? Rahul Lingba is next up. Okay. Also with the what? cliched banker's box oh, with yeah. his stuff. And here's what, by the way, Rahul Lingba, the name itself should have been a tip off to those really sophisticated in the in the tech space, like tech reporters who ran with this. But anyway, I'll get to that in a second. Here's Rahul Lingba. Michelle Obama wouldn't have happened. Yeah, Elon Musk on Twitter. I don't Elon know, Musk right? on Twitter. Town Square. You know, Obama in 2008 wouldn't have happened without uh, my like director, Elon Musk on Twitter. Twitter. You need free speech is uh, when an, yeah. a public company. Dog. I'm not like one guy owning a company, you know. But I mean, I even own a Tesla, man. Like. I, I'm a big fan of, like, clean energy, climate change. So he owns a Tesla, too. He's yeah. waving around Michelle Obama's book, book, Becoming, while he's saying the Obamas wouldn't have happened had Elon Musk on Twitter in 2008. <laughs> I, and Rahul Ligma. So Ligma is, like, Ligma, is some fake, like, disease from Fortnite, as I understand <laughs> it. I just read up on this. And and the Rahul thing that that's that's some sort of um, that has some sort of like meme relevance, but it's it, the the whole thing is completely fictitious. And the 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 the, the commentary you were getting 
from the press, not just the press that reporting what they said without any sort of uh, any sort of you know follow up questions, right, confirmation right. of can we have sourcing to, credibility? Right, you can always ask them. Do you have something to confirm that you are an employee? That you're not just making this up, right? In addition to that, I mean the 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 poignant commentary, or what they think is poignant commentary, from members of the press corps in response to this. I mean, it's just it's really something. Uh, the the you know it's happening. It, it, first of all, we know the actual reporting was the CEO and the CFO got moved out right which is that happens all the time when companies are taken over yeah uh and not big news agarol is like some has a payout that's reportedly in the neighborhood of 50 million dollars and the cfo is about half of that yeah they'll be fine roger in the south side you're on chicago's morning answer well i hope we never have to revisit another battle of the boat in this country because I'll tell you what, I don't know what it, over the last 40 years, what it's done to us here is tragic. And just on Twitter, okay, when Twitter was at its height, okay, it was estimated as probably 80% to 20%, 80% to the left, 20% to the right. And what they did was every 20% to the right, anybody who had a valid argument on there, they banned or got rid of from Trump all the way down to uh, guys like me who had six accounts, uh, suspended not for vulgar language because you argue too intelligently it's just uh you know we need to build a a small enough closet to put these people into and you know put four or five six good locks on it because if we don't it's it's i can't imagine how bad it's going to be if we steamroll in these elections it's going to be like the crazy girlfriend from Hinsdale, it just won't go away. You know what I'm saying? I do. I, I mean, Thanks for the call, Roger. Uh, Deidre Bosa is a tech reporter, allegedly, for CNBC. It's happening. Entire team of data engineers let go. These are two of them. Hashtag Twitter takeover. <laughs> now, is she going to be keeping her job? Of course. Are they going to suspend her, her for of that? Course. I mean, there's attribution. You have to ask them. They are in the business of hoaxes, and if it becomes so obvious that it was a hoax, at some point they'll be like they'll either there'll be a quiet correction, or they'll just move on like nothing happened, as so many did with a Smollett hoax after their initial performative race hustle. When we come back, I got another one for you. This is this, and I don't think this is going to be covered barely at all. The New York Post covered it. Just incredible hoaxes from, uh, you know, we don't know yet, but there's a lot of indicators. Paul Pelosi to Elon Musk to Carrie Lake. I have one for her to identity politics, anything identitarian. The demand is insatiable, so they will create supply if it does not come organically. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. It's like a hot, steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Talking about hoaxes and all their varieties perpetrated on the D.C. press corps and the new Marxists on the public. 
this is a favorite category. We know it well in Illinois and Chicago with mm-hmm. the Jesse Smollett hoax and so many others. Good, uh, good book about uh, these race hoaxes by our friend Will Riley at uh, from Kentucky State University. The race hoax. You should check it out. How about this one? Uh, many of our listeners are old enough to remember this uh, moment at the Academy Awards. And it's even if you weren't alive at the time, it's one of those indelible moments that's referenced often. It's the best. Sasheen Littlefeather. When Sasheen Littlefeather in 1973 at the Academy Awards went on stage to accept the Best Actor Award for Marlon Brando for The Godfather because he in good conscience couldn't accept it so long as Native American people in this country were being persecuted. Remember her speech? Mm-hmm. Hello, my name is Sasheen Littlefeather. I'm Apache, and I'm president of the National Native American Affirmative Image Committee. I'm representing Marlon Brando this evening, and he has asked me to tell you in a very long speech, which I cannot share with you presently because of time, but I will be glad to share with the press afterwards that he very regretfully cannot accept this very generous award. And the reasons for this being are the treatment of American Indians today by the film industry, excuse me, back when there was some dissent in Hollywood, a couple of boos. And on television, in movie reruns, and also with recent happenings at Wounded Knee. I beg at this time that I have not intruded upon this evening and that we will, in the future, our hearts and our understandings will meet with love and generosity. Thank you on behalf of Marlon Brando. Well, Sasheen Littlefeather, it turns out, because her, she just passed away and her sister, Rosalind, has come forward to say Mm-mm. it was all a lie. She was born Maria Cruz in 1946, and uh, yeah, it was a joke. Not a joke, but it was a hoax. She was born Marie Cruz in Salinas, California. She didn't live in a rickety shack. She life. lived in a two-bedroom home with her parents and two sisters who she never mentioned throughout her life after she donned this, uh, you know, Rachel Dolezal, another example, yeah. type of identity. Yeah. Her mom was French, German, and Dutch. Uh, and her dad uh, had ancestry back to Mexico. No, no Zero. An- Native American ancestry, according to Rosalind Cruz, her sister. So when we saw Marie identify herself as Apache, my grandparents and I were blown away. I will never forget how we just stared at each other, absolutely awestruck. Uh, yeah, she wore a buckskin dress, moccasins, her hair ties. You know, she was she was all in. More from Rosalind Cruz. My sister Marie, who had recently spent a year in a mental hospital after trying to kill herself when she was 19, mm. then assumed that fake image for nearly 50 years. Her elaborate ruse denigrates the memory of our late parents, Manuel Ibarra Cruz and Geraldine Marie Cruz, who were native Californians with no ancestral ties. How did it happen? How did it happen? Apparently, she was an aspiring actress, and in San Francisco, she befriended Marlon Brando through Francis Ford Coppola, and 
she donned this identity and sold it first to them and then to, even 50 years ago, a credulous elite institution. Well, two, Hollywood and the press corps. Mm -hmm. One of the Sashin original Yeah. Well, another hoax that was played was on. I'm not. I'm not oh, the, yeah, hold, hold on okay. a second. You could just say relax. Okay. What? So, so you're so ready to jump on your Carrie Lake uh, getting accused of uh, uh, the break in at Hobbs's campaign office. This is so, this is 18 degrees different than that. Six months after the speech at the Oscars, she poses in Playboy. Still no questions. And as Rosalind recounts, she posed in Playboy much to the embarrassment, chagrin, and shame of her family. They were a traditional Catholic family. Marie's sham claim of a Native American heritage was nothing more than an opportunistic way for an aspiring actress to bust into Hollywood, says Rosalind Cruz, her sister. She saw that Brando had a growing interest in Native American advocacy, so she wrote him a letter claiming to be an Indian activist. And this is how she insinuated herself into his orbit and ultimately, incredibly, onto that stage for that moment. Just even the, the other things that she lied about, so easily disproven if you were at all skeptical, as I, I thought that's what you should be as a journalist. She said she was red-listed after her speech because of her speech, unable to land even the smallest role due to the direct orders of J. Edgar Hoover. But the problem with that statement is that J. Edgar Hoover had died nearly a year before she made that speech at the Oscars. Hoover gave the orders from the grave, apparently, says Rosalind Cruz. Now do you see how her mind worked? And no one challenged her on it. No one challenged her on it. And then the response from the Academy... This is so perfect. Such a perfect commentary for our time. This is something both Little Feather and the Native American community have addressed continuously since the 1970s. Native American and indigenous identity is a deeply complex and layered, especially in the United States. And these communities have long battled erasure and misrepresentation with the support of its indigenous alliance, indigenous alliance, an academy member affinity group. The academy recognizes self-identification. So even after all of this is exposed by her sister and she lays out a pretty strong evidentiary case, what's the Academy's response? We recognize self-identification. That's where we're at. It's like a hot, steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM 560. The Answer. Larry Elder, Brandon Tatum, Alex Berenson, and many more at Freedom Summit Chicago. Tickets available at freedomsummitchicago.com. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. They lie about us, and they do their best to prevent us from telling the truth about them. Talking about hoaxes. Why is this so important? Because this is how they gaslight half the the public to put new Marxists in power, this Leninism with a fresh cone of paint, the vanguard party that perpetrates one fraud after the other, every sector, every institution. 
We got a great text message when we were talking about Paul Pelosi and the incident that happened Friday night at 2.27 a.m. Hey, guys, my Bob the Builder set is missing its hammers. Okay. But we talked about that. But this is about Carrie Lake because I I am so sick of the attacks on her. And I don't know if you saw, but they were doing a practice run, you know, for the for election, which is, you know, a week from tomorrow. And during their 530 p.m. newscast, they put up a graphic showing that Katie Hobbs, they declared her the winner and put a check mark by her name. Did you see that, Dan? I saw it. Yeah. That, I mean, that, that that's just promoting their agenda and what they want to have happen. They later said, oh, it was a mistake. It was just those numbers came from the AP. That's why we use them. And, you know, we don't want this to affect the election. Bull jive. I mean, the people see that and think, what the heck's going on? That's why people don't trust the media. But also they had this goofball go into their Katie Hobbs's campaign headquarters in Phoenix there. He took an Apple computer mouse a keyboard and a black Nikon cam- Nikon camera, but he was there because quote he told police he was just he just needed a place to stay for the night because he was cold, and her campaign manager came out and said, "Let's be clear, this Trump-backed candidate for nearly two years, Carrie Lake, has been spreading dangerous misinformation and inciting violence against anyone she she sees fit," and it wasn't some political operative from Carrie Lake who broke in there. It was pretty much a homeless man. And she held an immediate press conference to dissolve this. I have a story for you. We had an incident this morning at our campaign headquarters. Now, I didn't go crazy and I didn't throw a bunch of statements out. But we had an incident where somebody was seen rummaging in our campaign office. And I have evidence to believe it may have been Katie Hobbs herself who was involved in this. And so I want you to take the same vigor... You put into the story the lies that were spread yesterday. And I want to make sure you guys, I saw last night, Fox 10 News, my old employer, wow. They actually did more to protect the criminal in this case. They blurred his face. They protected Katie Hobbs because they're carrying her water. And they defamed me. They put defamatory statements, lies about me. And the reason they didn't, that they did that is because this was the real news yesterday that none of you wanted to cover. We're 11 points up. You're in a frenzied panic because your chosen candidate is not winning. You didn't want to cover this, so you had to run with a completely garbage story. Shame on each and every one of you. The, the point is, you, you, she goes on to say, Carrie, do better. They're not going to do better, and no. she knows it. And that's the station this that is, she worked for for decades. So what? They, they, they have a point. They have an agenda. They have a purpose. And it runs against the purposes of center-right candidates or or center-right takes on policy issues. And the, the thing that's so frustrating about the press corps, so obviously the com shop of the left, so obviously the com shop of the left, oh, they're biased, they're this and that. They're not biased. They're, the com, they're employed effectively, mm-hmm. de facto employees of the Democrat Socialist Party. That's a big difference. And if you don't sort of have the right angle of understanding then you are bound to accept some of the things they say without any critical analysis oh well nbc reported or cbs reported it cbs is reporting this and fox is reporting that so what every story that you see from those legacy media outlets that are not you know branded as left like new republic or mother jones 
every story you see from those fake news outlets that feign objectivity should be treated with skepticism, should be not accepted at face value. Not a single story. Most of the stories that we pull and talk about from these legacy media outlets, including the Gray Lady and the Amazon Post, it's to ridicule them or it's to explain the game that they're running. It's not to say, oh, the, the, the New York Times is reporting at face value, never at face value. They have lost the benefit of the doubt. And I, I see a lot of Republicans that don't get that. I see a lot of Republican candidates who trumpet the Daily Herald or Tribune endorsement. Why? Because that you know what a, a Daily Herald or a Tribune endorsement is? What? It's, it's the label, the good housekeeping label for a nice housebroken Republican. It's the, we're going to endorse this housebroken Republican because we want to continue to perpetrate this fraud that we are even-handed, that we are objective, that we don't have a partisan agenda. Republican candidates shouldn't even participate in those endorsement interviews, shouldn't even bother talking to the reporters in quotation marks from those outlets. They are illegitimate. And we don't get this. And it, I don't know, hoax after hoax after hoax after hoax. Look how the network affiliates treat my pack, for example. And I'm not claiming victim status. I'm using this as an illustration. Okay. They won't let me run that scream ad that was up briefly. And then there was a human cry I mean, because, you know, they want to make money, too. They have, you know, something has to underwrite their phony baloney salaries for these GMs and news directors and yeah. and and news readers. So they want they, that so they want my pack money. The, the scream ad goes up. Then their overlords. How dare you? And the scream ad comes down. That was real. Yeah. But all of them ran that video and their newscasts. I, I know. That's what's so mind boggling. Because and they didn't get the victim's approval to use it. They all did it. If it bleeds, it leads. So we want to get the salacious benefit from it. We want to take the cash. But if our overlords say, pull it, when, especially when it's coming from the right, me, then pull it. So they did. Now, compare that to this. Top Democrats, including Hillary Clinton and California Governor Gavin Newsom, Peddling a pro-abortion campaign ad. This is campusreform.org reporting on this. Good outlet. Top Democrats peddling a pro-abortion campaign ad that falsely portrays a pro-life college student as being opposed to the overturning of Roe v. Wade, as being opposed to the Dobbs decision. The, the, and, it's, and it's important, too, because it's like the frame of the commercial. It's a, a woman with her uh, her head in her hand, and she's clearly crying. Sad is just the the title. Sad. We got mad, sad, scared. The Lee University student, Macy Petty, shown falling to her knees outside the Supreme Court, crying after the decision. The word sad flashed over the clip as a voice narrates, when the decision happened, we got mad, sad, scared, but now we can get to work. Petty is a member of Students for Life of America. 
I'm not surprised they manipulate women every day, she said. She gets it. So many Republicans don't. She gets it, this college student. Their entire agenda feeds on manipulating women, but honestly, it's just totally embarrassing for their campaign. It's embarrassing for their side that they had to stoop this low. They couldn't find a pro-choice girl who was crying at the court. They had to manipulate footage of a pro-life girl. Will that ad get pulled down? Of course not. But it should. That's fake news. I mean, we talk about this in the context of, you know, stop donating to your alma mater because you like the football team when they're peddling cultural Marxism and economic Marxism, for that matter. Well, the same goes for media. Oh, the media has so little trust. It has, yeah, it's something people say because they're thinking about the outlets that they don't consume and we're very siloed in terms of the information we consume. But still, they're still susceptible to the 60 Minutes expose, to the New York Times blockbuster. Every single story, every single story from these outlets, and you should know which ones they are, and if you don't, ask somebody. Three should one be treated two. skeptically. Nothing taken at face value. Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six type in DA then a quick comment. Mark in Libertyville, you're on Chicago's morning answer. Hey morning guys. And listen to this. I've been saying this that this is we are in this position as a country in my opinion, because of the the media. I mean guys, if you look back during Obama how they literally, it was embarrassing the way they fawned over Obama. It was utterly embarrassing. And I don't know if you guys recall, but there was a WikiLeaks email that came out prior to the 2016 election where you had, uh, it was weeks before um, they had a Hillary Clinton fundraiser, and you had all these news personalities from Rachel Maddow to Brian Stelter to Brian Williams. The list went on and on. You think, oh my gosh. What is going on here that these people are at a Hillary Clinton fundraiser? The only reason that came out was because of WikiLeaks. Yeah, right. And then you've got these guys like George Stephanopoulos and Chuck Todd. George Stephanopoulos, wasn't he the communications director in the in the Clinton administration? Yeah, right. Of course, of yeah. course. Uh, they're all. I mean, they're all. They're, 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 they're all. Rhodes and they, the whole. Thanks for the call. They're all either former Democrat operatives. Or they become Democrat operatives once they leave media, as we've seen in Chicago. Where do all these Chicago press types, with a few exceptions, go once they're done reading the news or they, they, they're too well, they they're unaffordable? Democrats. They go work for Democrats. Well, Same I, thing with print or TV. And I was there when Obama won the election and reporters, I was in the reporter pit. I worked for a different station at the time. And they reporters were bawling, Dan. I mean, it was as if the second coming came out. And they were dropped to their knees. <laughs> it was so weird. You you so print bizarre. a newspaper. You print a newspaper with stories that we don't want. Then we come and say, "Hey, you can't print that newspaper." And they stop, like Paddock Publications did with our newspapers. Yep. You're so, seeing it firsthand. So what do you do? What do you do? You just bitch about it? No, you don't just bitch about it. No. You've done what so many uh, center-right people have done. They've started their own outlets. They've created their own castles. And so you have a landscape of a lot of good blogs and news outlets that provide great information that we rely on, at least in part. 
So you continue to support those outlets and bloggers. And you don't give any quarter. You read so you know thine enemy. You should always read across the political spectrum. So you know the arguments. You understand, as I said, the games they're running. But you don't repeat or pass along information from those outlets uncritically without a a comment so people understand that they're illegitimate and here's why or they uncontrollably stumbled into the truth here but don't let this fool you into believing that they're on the level because they're not so how do you in it, it one other way you address it is the way Florida Republicans have addressed it you know what's going on in Florida and it wasn't always this way. I mean, you know, Florida, it's a red state. Florida, Florida was the swing state in presidential, presidential elections right. not so long ago in this century. Remember hanging chads, yes. They had Democrat statewide officials not so long ago in this decade or the last decade. Thank God Andrew Gilliam didn't win. J- barely, barely, I mean, Ron that, DeSantis. That was close. I mean, Less than a percentage point look, four years ago. Look what so happened to him. So it's been a long road. That's the point. It's the same conversation we've had when we used to compare and contrast Illinois and Indiana. You know, Mitch Dan- oh, Mitch, Indiana's deep red state, Mitch Daniels, and then Pence and Holcomb. and so. Yeah, and before Mitch Daniels, it was two decades of Democrat governors in Indiana. And they had the, the Bai dynasty in Indiana. Things are on a path in one direction or the other. So understand that. Get on the right path. It's what the Republican Party in Illinois has failed to do for so long, which is why it's in the super minority status, why it is such a decided underdog, even when you have a political ruling class that decimates your state and your state's largest city. So Florida. Emily Mahoney reporting for the Tampa Bay Times on Hispanic voters. This is just data, so not even the Tampa Bay Times can get it wrong. According to recently released state data, about 58,000 more Hispanic voters registered with Florida's Republican Party between 2020 and 2022, resulting in growth that far outpaces the party's gains among voters of all races. Democrats lost about 46,000 registered Hispanic voters. Uh, DeSantis is going to win by double digits after winning by less than a point four years ago. Wow. And Marco Rubio is going to win. Good. After Val Demings, the congressman he's running against, was you know shortlister for President Biden's VP pick. Also, DeSantis right now, because of the shifts, he's beating his Democrat opponent, Charlie Crist, among Latinos, straight up. Not he's getting a historic... No, no he's beating him straight up. And what's DeSantis's message? Keep Florida free. Keep Florida free. The motif that punctuates the DeSantis campaign is essentially free minds, free markets, and a free society. Contrast that with what you're getting in blue states and from the federal government. Command control. Every aspect of life. Unfortunately, some people want to be taken care of by the state or use the state to take care of others so they don't have to be their brother's keeper. 
But the reason DeSantis has skyrocketed in popularity nationally and he's seen as, you know, either a challenger to Trump or uh, the Trump protege who will be benighted by Trump. We'll see. We'll see. But the reason he's in that conversation and he's the only one that presents a real potential challenge to Trump. Yep. Is because of what he's done in Florida. So what he's done in Florida. So what has he done? Look at it. Well, parental choice <laughs> and keeping businesses open during COVID. I mean, half of you moved there. I lost three friends that moved to Florida, and good for them because they wanted their kids to be in school for in-person learning and have a life. Len in Highland Park. Len the caddy from Highland Park. I missed hey, you this summer. Yeah, I know. Um, Rain check. The problem with the people that vote on the left, and especially in Highland Park, because I'm like a 1% uh, minority here, uh, is, you know, voting Republican. They don't want to hear the truth, okay? You you can tell them the truth a thousand times, and it, they, they will not let it sink in. Um, they want to hear the spin that CNN puts on every story and MSNBC. Um, they don't care. And and that's the problem. And there's so much hatred. Their their minds are just ruled by hatred. And uh, it'll never change. Well, thanks for the call, Len. But it will change. It does change. The question is in which direction. I mean, you know, on the North Shore, the North Shore wasn't always that uh, enclave of Marxism that it is today. Right. I mean, people are listening are old enough to remember when places like New Church Township were Republican, country club Republican. And that was the problem. But Republican, nonetheless. I mean, how long was John Porter, the congressman from the North Shore? Oh, yeah, that's right. And then you had a back and forth for a while between uh, Dold and Schneider until. Until that was over, as the inertia kept going in the direction of the left. What, what's happened to DuPage County? Where the Democrat Socialist has won DuPage County the last three presidential cycles, but it was base camp for Republicans for generations before that. We don't have any Republican Congress people in the suburbs. That hasn't always been the case. So there's change that happened. Why? And there's change in the other direction that happened in Indiana and Florida. Why? Those are the examinations that are needed. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys. On AM 560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM 560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, and it's a uh, week and a day from the big day, election day, week from tomorrow. So it's time for closing arguments from candidates in key races around Illinois. You've heard them before, but should hear them make their closing case to you before you head to the polls. I guess you could do that today. You could do right. that any day. You it's, could it's month long. Started back in, I don't know. What, September. Yeah, right. Yeah, the, super spart- the super centers were open. Um, super sites. 
And, you know, one of the constituencies we haven't talked a lot about, but we will this week, is those Trump voters in Illinois who voted in 16 and voted in 20, but didn't vote in 18. If you're going to see upsets at the state level or in suburban congressional races in Illinois this cycle, as things trend towards a red wedding, if you're going to see that, it necessarily must include Trump voters who turned out in 16 and 20 for Trump, but didn't turn out for Republicans in 2018. They need to turn out in 2022 yep. or it won't happen. It needs to be a big turnout on the center right in order to overcome the structural advantage that Democrat socialists have in Illinois. Uh, one of those candidates who is counting on such a turnout is Joe Severino, who's the Republican nominee for Congress in Illinois' 10th. And he joins uh, Severino for Congress.com is the website, by the way. He joins us now. Joe, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. Good morning. Good morning, Amy. Good morning. So hey, your, your closing uh, argument, sir. My closing argument, it's predicated upon uh, a little bit of your last segment, Dan, in that uh, you know, the weaponized, uh, uh, you know, the Daily Herald, the Chicago Tribune, um, the, you're, you're, you're spot on when you say that, you know, they're, they're not reporters or it's not slanted. It's built with the impulse to want to de- uh, degrade a Republican candidate. You know, the 10th district where I'm running, we have the pillars of the Republican Party here. Uh Richard Porter, Mark Shaw, Keith Brain, all the leaders. And I'm getting absolutely no support because I am anti-establishment. And they pretty much work hand in hand. When you talk about endorsements, uh, I sat down. Uh, I bring a biography of 25 years. Uh, business, built a children's foundation, worked in the film industry, had a catering company, investment company, real estate development. And uh, my biography far outweighs what Brad Schneider did in comparison, uh, you know, he votes 100 percent with Joe Biden. We hear a lot of that. They, uh, it's a uh, toe the line party. However, he's also been implicated in not being able to, you know, fill out his petitions properly. Uh, literally a sitting congressman almost thrown off the ballot. Then we have where he took a dual homestead exemption. We have where he, uh, you know, uh, he had like five conflicts of uh regarding the Congressional Stock Act of 2012. And as of recently, his staffers stole $80,000, documented $80,000 from his congressional office, bought weapons, impersonated an FBI agent, went to the Trump rallies on November 14th in Washington, literally steps from president with loaded guns. When he was discovered, he eluded the Capitol Hill police and Washington police. He was a wanted fugitive by no exaggeration, Dan, a wanted fugitive that had badge access to the Capitol, Facebook posts showing he was at the Capitol, and these reporters won't even write on the story. Or if they do, they glance by it. So Mm -hmm. I call him stay-at-home Brad because he can't manage his office. Uh, as of uh, recently, he wouldn't debate me. He wouldn't debate me in front of the NAACP, Mano a Mano, which is a Hispanic coalition, and the League of Women Voters. I'm one of the only Republicans that put out a press release demanding that he debate me. So I showed up at this uh, 
this well-orchestrated taxpayer event that he was going to use for commercial purposes to market his candidacy and disrupted it, demanding that he debate me. Uh, he took the whole thing off the Internet, by the way. But the reality is it's a system so slanted against the interest of people and to profit these these establishment uh, politicians. And I literally don't see a line between, in Illinois running as a first-time candidate, a difference between the Republicans and the Democrats well, uh, some, from the some leadership of them. perspective. Yeah, some of them. I mean, so wait, so so you NAACP, like National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, that organization, not exactly, exactly. Okay. So the so you've tried to debate them in front of uh, a black civil rights organization, Latino organizations, any League of Women Voters, Plague of Women Vipers, any. Any organization that will host you two or that he is at, you you were there to try to present your alternative views and uh, you just get no quarter. Yeah, well, well, I tried to inspire the debate very uh, in a sophisticated professional way because he's been, uh, you know, hiding. And the reality is if he's there to defend the rights of women and minorities and he won't sit at the table with me, if we can't expect him to fight here, Dan, how's he going to fight when there are no eyes on him in Washington? Well, he's a puppet, that's for sure. But I want to go back to this, you know, him purchasing weapons and showing up November 14th. Was that a crime that sure. was committed or is that an alleged? Oh, yeah. No, it was a crime that was committed. We have the do- documents from the FBI stating exactly how they subsequently did arrest him. By the way, it was January 11th uh, after January 6th, and that committee never spoke about it. Uh, you know, by all accounts, and I'm a pretty objective individual, by all accounts, it looks like his office funded this individual to go there and inspire a riot. And the well, 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 we, like we, we've never occurred. So so we've talked about the story with you previously and right. and we've got the documentation that you sent over. So so there was a, a prosecution. There was a plea. And what did he plea out to? And then what was the issue with he stole money from? Brad Schneider's uh, taxpayer-funded office, so he stole money from the taxpayers. And then, if I'm recalling correctly, Brad Schneider uh, reimbursed the, the the federal government for the money that his staffer stole from us. That's correct. So, so and what did he, he what, what did he plea out when, to, though? What did he plea out to? Uh, yeah, the stolen guns. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, the guns, uh, uh, illegal guns, he didn't have a permit for them in a gun-free zone uh, in Washington, and they dropped all the other charges. What was the sentence? Mandatory, I'm sorry? What was the sentence? Uh, Well, it was supposed to be, uh, here, uh, and I read the the memo coming out of the judge's chambers. Long and short of it is uh, the mandatory sentencing guidelines demanded that he serve between 10 and 12 or 10 and 15 years. What he did was uh, they uh, he pleaded down, they gave him nine months, and then they dropped it down. Schneider uh, intervened and actually quashed the sentencing, so they just gave him probation oh. and home home arrest. And uh, they sealed the, rec- the record subsequently to the intervening. However, by all appearances, it doesn't look like he even did the, uh, the the home arrest for, you know, the 30-day period or whatever it was. But again, the papers are reporting he served nine months, he got nine months, and he served nine months. That's not even the case. And, and Brad Schneider has explained why he reimbursed the federal government for the money that his staffer stole? 
there's no accountability whatsoever when it comes to these entrenched Democrats. Uh, this political machine, it, it's so easy for them to kind of stymie a voice or to sweep this information under the rug and keep it from the public eye. And that's what I've been fighting for the last year and a half. I'm so bewildered I, at the fact that, uh, that they have that kind of power. Well, so I, I've seen the Brad Schneider subterranean homesick blues routine on his ads, you know, the Bob Dylan knockoff that hack politicians like to use for campaign commercials. You know, it's all the soft sure. stuff. He's riding around on a bicycle and so on and so forth. He's so, he's so North Shore. Um, but, you know, get, getting beyond the the party reptiles in both camps, so what's the mood on the North Shore? What's the response you're getting? What are the issues that you think perhaps would move some center-left people that you need over to your camp? Well, we, we had a poll, and the poll showed that we were within seven points of Brad Schneider with a margin of four. So right out of the gate, that was incredible. When uh, Bob Dole had a, uh, a poll done right before I started to run, that showed him at like a plus 20. The Democrats at a plus 20. Now we're at a plus seven. And that was before people started to really get to know who we were. So I rented out uh, the Genesee Theater. I had a community event called Future of the Tens. And all these leaders claimed to be able to bring people together. I said, let's throw, let's create an environment where we'll take just the spectrum of people out there, bring them together, and let's hash it out and show them that we're not as far apart as they think. So I had the founder of Black Lives Matter in Lake County, Clyde McLemore. I had P. Ray. I had the mayor of Libertyville, uh, 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 Carlos uh, Smith, who's a uh, uh, like the largest black uh, influencer in Waukegan. Um, so we brought them all together. We had a conversation. It was so pleasant. It was incredible. And they were so afraid of the event because we go right to the people, Dan. And so, and so as what, you know, the, I grew up in Cicero. I'm not afraid of these communities but, but so the conversation so but what's the issue that's bringing people together and 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 saying the same things what what is it crime is it inflation is it both is it something else it's all it's crime inflation uh you know these communities are worried about our borders are worried about the drugs these cartels everybody has the same uh wants out there politically regarding the issues but going back to your last caller, you know, the North Shore, they don't want to hear information. The reality is if you can reach them emotionally, and that's been the kind of the, the, the magic of our campaign, we will go out there in the community like the politician of yesteryear and, you know, speak in front of groups of people, hold coffees. I go right to Democrats, like literal Democrats that support me, have coffees with them because those are the individuals all these kind of wealthy, uh, waspy individuals on the North Shore, what they want to hear is, what are you going to do for people so they can feel almost philanthropic by getting behind it? So if you want to echo up the chain and really reach people in an aggregate sense, you have to start at the most struggling. And that's what we did, and we've been very successful. And that's why, you know, bringing people together, showing that we don't have a grade of uh, of a divide as illustrated by, say, the media or one side or the other. And then we're bringing a plan to the table called the New North Shore, where we're proposing that we can walk in, shrink the wealth gap in this district, which is huge, from, let's say, the south side of the district to the north side. We have the most beautiful shoreline property here, 
it's devastating to see the degradation in the way people are suffering with such beautiful property. And what we could do is we can inspire developers and confidence, uh, you know, work from a federal and state initiative where we can, you know, uh, uh, assist in business building. We can inspire developers, repurpose property, bring real manufacturing jobs instead of, say, a mother single mother in North Chicago is taking an L or a train downtown an hour and a half each day. So right out of the gate, that's three hours away from her family. We have to create jobs that are in the area that are local and all that tax revenue can help support schools, better lives for people. And that's the message that really kind of combines everyone. What about putting parents back in charge? We need opportunity. What about putting parents, what about putting parents back in charge of their children's education? I've been fighting from the beginning at school board meetings. That's kind of predicated upon why I'm even involved. I didn't like the atrocities that were occurring with children. I stood in the face of that, argued at the boards. Uh, Dan, if you remember, you were talking maybe almost two years ago, a year and a half ago, when I was in front of the uh, school board at Lake Forest. And uh, it went somewhat viral. The reality is we have people that are censored, that are afraid to speak up. And now it's become a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, popular. The more voices we get out there of reason, the more voices we get out there for, you know, hope or opportunity, people will start standing up and fighting back. And that's what we're seeing throughout the nation. And, what, what, uh, you know, it's what, inspiring what, to see it. What, what are you sensing from that sort of uh, populist grassroots that you need to turn out that we were talking about at the outset? Well, that's uh, that's what we have. We have an entirely grassroots campaign. And that's what I mean by going to the streets, meeting people. When you can resonate along the lines, and like I I famously said, from the street to the boardroom, when you can go out there, uh, you know, uh, with any demographic and speak to people and show them how things can be done differently, they're willing to hear it. Uh, You could throw all the facts, evidence, and statistics as you want, Unless you reach them in a personal or emotional level, they will never hear. And we've been very good at setting people out to let them know this is a message of unity and everybody's behind that message. It's just not sustainable. Mental illness, depression, what they're doing to our children. There is no ability to thrive with such a wide gap here. And that's where we're bringing people together. He is Joe Severino. He's the Republican nominee for Congress in Illinois' 10th, the North Shore, and to the far north suburbs. More information on his campaign to get involved here in the last eight days to help him uh, with his close during those last eight days. Severino for Congress.com. Severino for Congress.com. Joe, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Dan, thank you. Thank you, Amy. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560. The answer. Don't miss Freedom Summit Chicago on November 5th. Get your tickets today before they sell out. Go to freedomsummitchicago.com. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, the left's trying to salvage the Senate campaign of Hodor from Game of Thrones, who's running for Senate in Pennsylvania there. Uh, Joe Biden weighing in on John Fetterman, after that debate performance last week. Are you confident about, his, uh, about the way it looks there? 
Yeah, I thought he was really good. I thought he knew what he was doing. I thought he was strong. And look, Fetterman is Pennsylvania. I mean, Fetterman is everything that he appears to be. You know where he stands. He has great courage. He has no reluctance to say what he thinks. He's my kind of guy. My kind of guy. Indeed. Indeed he is. Scranton Joe. Wow, that's a big lie. Uh, yeah, Ooh. Fetterman. He was really yeah, impressed great. with that performance. But, I mean, again, he's grading based on the Biden standard. Uh, have you met Giselle Fetterman, his better half? Giselle Fetterman, his wife, she's a bit of a loon, too, it turns out. And she's become more public, taking a more public role in the campaign, perhaps more of a decision-making role in the campaign. Right. She is the campaign. (laughs) Well, a lot of questions about was she the one that essentially demanded that he do the debate in spite of what uh, any political professional knew would probably happen based on where his capacity is right now as he's recovering from a stroke. I mean, it's just a medical reality. But Giselle, setting that aside for a second, Giselle Fetterman, give you a sense of what you're dealing here with these two. And while we did not want the mansion, that mansion came with the pool and the pool I wanted. And the dream was to open this pool and make it a public pool, turn it into the people's pool and ensure that um, young people across Pennsylvania could learn how to swim and learn water safety and kind of work to right some of the wrongs. You know, historically, um, swimming in America is very racist. um, And usually when you look at drowning statistics, that usually affects children of color because of lack of access. So we were able to open the what what um first of all they live in a loft in braddock pennsylvania i'm not exactly sure what mansion she's talking about um secondly um even did they have a mansion and a pool in the backyard oh you're going to make it a public pool so that uh kids can travel from across pennsylvania to come to your rural town public slash private pool to learn how to swim and thirdly, by the way, I mean, you know, I, I hate to undermine these wonderful stories, but based on CDC data and also logic, if you follow hers, the lack of access to pools results in more drownings for uh, kids of color, to use the phrase. Right. Well, if you're not in the pool, then how, how do you drown? Um, yeah, CDC data um, – it, it's you know white mostly toddlers that drown that have there's an incidence of drowning, and um, it's white Hispanic black in that order in terms of you know drownings per per hundred thousand. But, but okay, you know I mean other than that, that doesn't fit their narrative, Dan. It's just, it's just everything they just shoehorn everything into this identity through this identitarian prism, don't they? And then then they just make up statistics to in an attempt to justify it and sound high minded when, in fact, they're quite low minded. Well, did you hear President Biden talking about airline seats and how they are racist now? Some airlines, if you want six more inches between you and the seat in front, you pay more money. But you don't know it until you purchase your ticket. Look, folks, these are junk fees. They're unfair and they hit marginalized Americans, the hardest, especially low-income folks and people of color. Now it's tall, low-income folks and people of color. That, by the way, you don't know it until – right, you know it when you decide if you want, you want to want. pay more for a seat that has more leg. 
Okay. And that's uh, been going on long before he was president. Well, uh, one uh, former Democrat who got sick of this nonsense is Tulsi Gabbard, former congresswoman from Hawaii, presidential candidate. And uh, she made this announcement a couple weeks back. You heard it on this show. I can no longer remain in today's Democratic Party that's under the complete control of an elitist cabal of warmongers who are driven by cowardly wokeness, who divide us by racializing every issue and stoking anti-white racism, who actively work to undermine our God-given freedoms that are enshrined in our Constitution, who are hostile to people of faith and spirituality, who demonize the police but protect criminals at the expense of law-abiding Americans, who believe in open borders, who weaponize the national security state to go after their political opponents, and above all, who are dragging us ever closer to nuclear war. Now, I believe in a government that's of the people, by the people, and for the people. Unfortunately, today's Democratic Party does not. Instead, it stands for a government that is of, by, and for the powerful elite. Now, I'm calling on my fellow common sense, independent-minded Democrats to join me in leaving the Democratic Party. If you can no longer stomach the direction that the so-called woke Democratic Party ideologues are taking our country, then I invite you to join me. And Tulsi Gabbard is in town today. Let's find out why. Former congressman and presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard joins us now. Tulsi, thanks so much for being with us. Appreciate it. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. Thanks so much for having me on your show today. Uh, our pleasure. So we saw you with Carrie Lake in Arizona. We saw you with Tudor Dixon in Michigan. You're in Chicago today because? Uh, I'm here, here to support uh, Darren Bailey, who's running for governor. Uh, you know, I had a chance to chat with Darren a few days ago, had a lot of folks who are reaching out to me saying, hey, please come out here and help support this great American who is running to bring about uh, real change to the state of Illinois. You know, I just came from uh, being with Tudor Dixon over the weekend in Michigan, and I know a lot of the same challenges that people are frustrated with and feeling in Michigan are the same things that Darren is telling me uh, folks are frustrated with here in Illinois uh, things obviously like incredibly rising crime rates, uh, you know, heavily restricted um, uh, controls by the government throughout the COVID pandemic. Uh, you know, parents being told, hey, you don't have a right or, or to have a say in what your child is being taught in school. Uh, th these are all things that, that aren't Democrat or Republican issues. Uh, they are issues that are affecting every person and every family in this state. And that this governor, uh, you know, Governor Pritzker has has failed on. And so I, I'm really grateful to have the opportunity to be here to support Darren, uh, to help encourage people who maybe are undecided, who are independents or, you know, maybe Democrats who are frustrated with the status quo and are looking for real change. Now's the time to make that change. So what was the number one reason why you left the Democratic Party? And do you have any regrets since making that decision? Amy, I have no regrets whatsoever. If only, uh, if, if anything, uh, the feedback that I've heard from people across the country, people I've never met before reaching out on social media or sending me emails saying, hey, thanks for, thanks for being the voice for the things that I've been feeling and frustrated about and, and just have been too afraid to stand up and say there's, there's this culture, cancel culture and, and this, um, this fear of, of repercussions 
on people exercising our right to free speech, and that's a dangerous thing, which is ultimately the the, the foundational reason why I left the Democrat Party. It, it has gone completely away from the party that I joined that was a, a big tent inclusive party that welcomed people who had different views on different issues, but that ultimately was a party that fought for the people. Now it's a party that is of, by, and for the power elite, and it is the party that, that takes every opportunity to try to undermine our fundamental freedoms, our God-given rights and freedoms in the Constitution and Bill of Rights, uh, since trying to censor and silence and smear those who dare to speak out against their radical woke agenda or their narrative of the day, or even to ask questions. Uh, they refuse to be held accountable to voters. Um, they are hostile towards people of faith and spirituality. They are, uh, you know, they are against freedom. And, and how could I align myself any longer with the party that stands opposed to the Constitution that I took an oath to support and defend? Uh, speaking of uh, being smeared, was there a watershed moment for you, an incident that said, okay, I'm out, like, for example, Hillary Clinton accusing you of being a Russian agent? <laughs> you know, that, that this sort of, you know, crazy, insane smear would be laughable if, uh, if, if it weren't coming from someone who holds such a position of influence and power and if it didn't have the kind of effect that they're seeking it to have, which is, number one, some people actually believe this crap. And number two, the real message they're sending, this isn't about me being offended by something Hillary Clinton said. The message that they're sending to the American people and to fellow service members and veterans is if you dare to stand up against Hillary Clinton's warmongering establishment, then you too will be targeted. You too will be smeared. We will come after you. And that's the thing that, that really angered me when she said that and how that was, gosh, that was, a, that was a few years ago now. But consistently, when you look at the criticisms that I got, uh, that I've gotten over the years for criticizing the Democrat Party and what they said about me when I said, okay, I'm leaving the Democrat Party, I'm no longer a Democrat, they have resorted to these same exact smears that came from Hillary Clinton a few years ago um, that have no base, no evidence. They've never backed it up and really just exposes their own insecurities and fears because I listed it as you, as you played in that, uh, in that recording of why I left the Democrat Party. I was very detailed and very specific of the reasons why. Not a single one of them had an answer for why they felt those reasons were wrong. They had no substantive answer or response other than to say, oh, well, you know, she's this or she's that name calling and smearing. And I think this is what voters are starting to see through, uh, you know, in states like in Illinois and Michigan and across the country, where rather than having a debate in the open marketplace of ideas, we have one party, the party that's in power, the Democrat Party, that instead chooses to cheap name calling and smear tactics. And now she's saying that the midterms are going to be rigged. Exactly. Exactly. If it's not one thing, it's another uh, the, the funny thing is she's, she's preemptively saying this now at the same time that she's calling anyone, anyone who says, hey, you know, we need to make sure that, that we have trust in the integrity of our elections. Immediately anyone raises that question, oh, you're an election denier and uh, you don't deserve to speak. Literally, they want people who say we need to have integrity in our elections to be banned on social media. It's, it's just insanity. One of the uh, recurring criticisms you've made of the Democrats, you just mentioned it here, too, the warmongering, the, the party yes. of making war now. 
And uh, I, just elaborate on that in terms of, you know, where you thought the Democrats were when it came to national security, when it came to uh, protecting Americans and protecting our servicemen and women the world over versus where you think they are now. Yeah, Dan, you know, I, I won't say that it you know, the Democrat Party was the party of peace because there have been warmongers in both parties for a long time, and, and there still are. Uh, but it has, you know, there have been leaders, strong leaders, and voices for peace in the Democrat Party for a long time, and and that that was and remains important. Uh, we have seen this radical shift, uh, and Hillary Clinton has been at the head of it, uh, where the Democrat Party has now. It is now completely in the control of the military industrial complex, and it is it is the party of war. Uh, we could see this most recent example of this when you had 30 people who call themselves progressives. Uh, I think it was on the 24th of this month, so just a few days ago, sent released a letter publicly that they sent to President Biden saying, you know, if this war with Russia. Uh, and Ukraine, between Russia and Ukraine, continues on, it will cause such great devastation and suffering and death for the people of Ukraine, and it will continue to have a negative impact on the American people with the rising inflation and increasing cost of gas and fuel and, and, and many other essential needs that people have here. These are these progressives saying this and, and pleading to President Biden to lead diplomacy, lead through diplomacy, try to bring about a peaceful negotiated end to this war. Dan, it didn't even take 24 hours for them to feel the wrath of the warmonger bosses in Washington and in the Democrat Party for them to retract the letter, blame its release on their staff, and cower in the corner, bending over backwards, now saying the exact opposite, saying, no, don't, don't pursue diplomacy, President Biden. Don't do exactly what we asked you to do yesterday, just showing um, what cowards we have in these positions of power, first of all. And second of all, how completely, how completely the warmongers have uh, total control over this Democrat Party that anyone who dares to call for peace uh, feels their wrath. And unfortunately, these people don't have the courage to stand up and fight back. And, you know, is it a situation where any of your views on particular issues has changed or your views have not changed so much as the party to which you affiliated, their positions have changed and making it no longer tenable for you to be a part of it? I think I think uh, I think in some cases uh, there have both both are true. Uh, you know, as the Democrat Party has definitely moved in this radical, radical direction, this controlled by so-called woke fanatical ideologues, um, it's also opened my eyes to, to a lot of um, the policies that the Democrat Party is, is pushing and has pushed, and, and, and my own positions that I've held really recognizing ultimately how critical it is, how important it is that we get back to the basics of the Constitution. We get back to the basics and understanding why our founders very carefully crafted the Constitution and Bill of Rights you know, the importance they placed on the First Amendment and, frankly, why they chose to put the Second Amendment right after the first. And this is something uh, I think this is this is a big issue where, where my views have have changed, uh, having a greater understanding of why they did that, uh, hearing some very powerful and compelling statements coming out of the Supreme Court, especially in the wake of the New York 
concealed carry ruling that they had uh, about the importance of both and how the federal government has no place encroaching on both our First Amendment rights and Second Amendment rights, as well as, as you know, in the Second Amendment, when it says these rights shall not be infringed, uh, our founders are very clearly speaking to us about our rights to, you know, self-defense, to defend ourselves and our loved ones, but also to ensure that um, an armed populace serve as a very important check on the power of a government, uh, of a tyrannical government. And this is what we've seen over the last few years in particular, is how under this administration we have seen these signs, uh, sometimes direct, sometimes indirect, of the Biden administration and those in power, those elected as well as those appointed, uh, and bureaucrats pushing us in such an authoritarian direction, showing kind of where their true motives lie, and that's a dangerous thing. I know uh, you're in the western burbs today and not quite as tropical as Hawaii, but uh, hopefully you'll enjoy it nonetheless. Um, So what's the program with Darren Bailey today? Uh, We've got a few events with Darren uh, in Palatine and Glen Ellen today. Uh, I've heard we expect standing room only crowds, uh, but I encourage people to come out. uh, Come out and join us if you can. If you can't make it today, um, uh, please Please get out and make sure you vote. You know, my message to voters uh, here in the state of Illinois is really get past all the partisan talking points. You know, tune out all of those crazy smear attacks and ads that are really just trying to divide us as Americans, pit one against the other, and really think about the things that are most important to you. Think about your, you know, your children, your loved ones, and your family. And do you feel like you are better off today? Do you feel like you are safe in your communities and in your home? Do you feel like you know, our economy is, is working for you. Uh, do you feel like you are being honored and empowered as parents uh, with, with uh, policies that actually strengthen families rather than trying to tear us apart? And if, if the answer to any of those is no, then I urge you to really take a hard look at Darren Bailey and consider casting your vote for him because uh, he is a man of the people. I know that. He's a farmer, uh, and he cares very much for the state of Illinois, and he is committed to the Constitution and the freedoms in this country. Now is the time for courageous leaders like Darren who are stepping up to the plate in the face of great adversity to fight for the people and really bring about this vision our founders had for us to have a government of, by, and for the people. All right, and Tulsi Gabbard, we'll see you tonight at 7 p.m. at uh, Abington Banquets in Glen Ellen. I look forward to it. All right, more information, baileyforillinois.com on all the events as well. Tulsi Gabbard, former congresswoman and presidential candidate. Tulsi, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you both. Thank you. She joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's like a hot, steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's morning answer on AM 560. The answer. This is Chicago's morning answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM 560. The answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. This is a story we covered when it broke. Jennifer Say was Levi's, like Levi Strauss, like the jean company. Jennifer Say was Levi's brand president. She was on track to be this company's CEO. But then she crossed the line. Oh, yeah. 
she uh, thought for herself and she came to the conclusion that, for example, extended school closures was have, were having a negative effect on her children. And uh, she questioned the extended school closures as the data was becoming more compelling that, in point of fact, these were not super spreader environments. Kids were not. Low risk uh, group. Yeah, we're not a high risk group and so forth. Because they were worse than Chicago, and that's, you know, not saying a lot. <laughs> so, uh, again, the. So then the smear mobs descended upon her, and uh, no go for CEO anymore. She made the fatal mistake. She veered off of leftist orthodoxy on any topic. Well, uh, that experience has made her speak out even more, which we're appreciative of. She now has a book that releases November 15th, so just in a couple weeks. Levi's Unbuttoned, The Woke Mob Took My Job but gave me my voice. Former president of Levi's Brand, Jennifer Say. Jennifer, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me. So uh, just uh, to uh, refresh everybody's recollections, um, I've described it generally, but tell us how it actually went down since you lived it. Yeah, absolutely. So I lived in San Francisco for 30 years, over 30 years, and I'd worked at Levi's for 20 at the time that I started speaking out. Um, I was the brand president, as you as you stated, and as early as March 2020, I started to push back on restrictions to children, school closures, playground closures. Um, the play, outdoor playgrounds were closed in San Francisco for, um, for about eight months, um, and I saw all this as harmful not just my own children, but the children of San Francisco. And I spoke out about it, and I was warned repeatedly um, that I should stop. As you mentioned, the uh, orthodoxy of the time, the the democratic orthodoxy, was that schools were super spreaders and children were vectors of disease, um, that there was no such thing as learning loss. And I, I spoke out and was warned to stop, and ultimately I did not and was told that there would no longer be a place for me at the company, but I quit without accepting uh, the severance package because I did not want to sign a non-disclosure agreement on the terms of the separation because I had become increasingly alarmed throughout the two years that this was going on um, at the silencing of of any sort of dissent at all, and I wanted to be able to talk about it. And and now... Uh, in retrospect, now that we have mountains of evidence suggesting how much learning loss actually did occur, uh, grade, two grades in some cases, great disparities between white, black, and Latino as well, uh, now those same executives have come back to you and apologized to you, and they want you to come back and work for them, right? <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah. No, that has not happened. Um, they have said that I am misrepresenting what actually happened. Um, they have said that um, my open schools advocacy was permissible. What was not okay was that I challenged public health guidelines, um, which doesn't even make sense because it was the public health guidelines that were keeping the schools and the playgrounds closed. Right. Um, so no, there there have been no apologies. And and to your point, I mean the learning impacts are grave, especially for low-income children, those most likely to be in public schools, but the mental health impacts are also um, quite serious. So it goes beyond learning loss in terms of how this generation of children has been affected. Well, Jennifer, how many kids do you have and what did they go through physically and mentally during this lockdown of, I don't know how long yours lasted, ours lasted a year, well, eight days 
total for CPS high school students uh, between 2020 and 2021 school year. That's all we Yeah, ours was about the same. Yeah, ours was about the same. They squeezed in a day or two um, in the spring of 21 to say that they opened. I have four children, a wide range of ages, um, from five to 22. So you can ask about that later, but um, (laughs) wide range of ages. And, you know, my children, you know, I had a, I had a, a great job. I was an executive. My children had every privilege imaginable, um, strong Wi-Fi, a parent at home to, to help with the work. One of my kids at the time was in, in college, and he had come home during that time frame. And so while it was very much about my children and how I saw the isolation affecting them, I really couldn't get the 50,000-plus public school children in San Francisco out of my mind. And my, my kids um, did go to San Francisco Unified Public Schools, which is unusual for an executive. And what really, and I'm sure this happened in Chicago as well, what really just um, enraged me was by the fall of 2020, all the private schools had opened. Yeah. So all of my peers were actually sending their children to in-person school while mine uh, remained at home and, and all those other 50,000 public school children. And so essentially when they were telling me I couldn't speak out, they were saying that these public school children couldn't have what their children had. And that just seemed, um, you know, grossly unequal to me. And for a company saying they care about equality and a party, frankly, saying that's what they care about, um, I found this confounding, to say the least. Yeah, it's really interesting because you're on track to become the first female CEO of Levi. So uh, CEO of a Fortune 500 company, this is going to be a big deal. And, you know, to your point about equality, but um, the the politics surrounding that subordinated to the orthodoxy on the on, of opinion when it comes to covid. What, what was it like? What is it like these days in the C-suites in a Fortune 500 company since, you know? Um, yeah. And, I, you know, I should I should state in this. You know, I, I come from the left. I would have described myself as left of left of center, probably. Um, I know I did before all of this occurred, and I just found myself running headlong into this woke mob, so to speak. Um, and Levi's is a company that has not been afraid of taking controversial stances for some time, but it sort of took over, um, you know, the marketing of the product and the brand. And, you know, my analysis, which I, I cover in the book, is that this woke capitalism or social justice capitalism, it's really a cover for the fact that business is, of course, as it always has been. It's about making money and it's about profit, um, which is, you know, that's the, the fiduciary responsibility. But today's CEOs and business leaders, you know, it's not enough for them to be super rich anymore. They want to be celebrated as philanthropists and altruists and social justice warriors. And so anyone who challenges the orthodoxy of the day, and that is the the democratic orthodoxy, they're willing to banish them because they they challenge this pose that's been taken, um, and they you know risk their being exposed. And my sense is, you know, let's get back to doing business. Let's market in Levi's case the the jeans, the the product. Um, let's do right by employees. I'm not suggesting at all that we should not do right by employees. Um, but it's just become one big charade. Um, and so the book is really about that as much as it is about Levi's, and it's about that in the broader business world. 
um, this stance or pose that is is woke capitalism. And you know, in the end of the day, your politics should not be a condition for employment. That's that's crazy. It shouldn't be a litmus test. And standing up for children should never have been political. Um, and it certainly shouldn't be an HR violation. But that is indeed what happened. Have you heard from any of your former colleagues about the book, and have they tried to stop you from writing it? Um, no one's tried to stop me from writing it. I know I don't think they think they can do that. Um, I have heard from one or two, but really, there's not much contact at all, which is is upsetting. You know, I worked there 22 and a half years. Wow. I had great friends, or so I thought. Um, you know, I got married. I had four children there. All my kids were born while I worked there. I went to weddings, funerals. I held baby showers. And, you know, I've heard from no one. And, you know, of note, it was the employees that really, I mean, it was the Twitter mob, but also employees that really, really um, pushed back and complained about the stance I took on, on schools. And I just felt like my own community really turned on me. And not only had I been there a long time, I was, I was, you know, if I may say so, I was, I was quite well liked, (laughs) you know, but this was just a bridge, a bridge too far. And I was called every name you could think of, every unemployable name, racist, anti-trans, anti-this, anti-old people, fat phobic, all because (laughs) I said that schools should be open because if you veer and, you know, you alluded to this at the beginning, you know, even just one step in any direction from that orthodoxy, then you're all the bad things. Right. You know? The loyalty tests um, never stop. That's right. That that That's right. And so because I thought schools should be open, I apparently had like a, you know, white hood in my closet. <laughs> and I was oh, yeah. a terrible racist that wanted black children to die. And it just didn't even make any sense. And I became just more and more confused, but also angry um, as it continued, and despite being warned that when I spoke, I spoke on behalf of the company, I pushed back on that because I said, no, I'm a, I'm a citizen. And I'd been outspoken about politics in the past, but of course, was more aligned, um, you know, with the, with the party's stance. So that was fine. So, so you know, we have this uh, chicken and egg riddle going on in corporate America and so many other cultural and civic and business institutions. Is it is it uh, the employee composition has changed because, you know, you're pulling kids from probably a lot of elite universities that have one mindset or a dominant mindset. And then they they've been imbued with a sense of entitlement. They come to a company and they think that they're in charge and um, and and uh, they will dictate the terms on which they are employed. Uh, so is it coming from the bottom up or the top down, or is it the bottom becomes the top and it's just self-reinforcing? What What do you think? I think it's, you know, it's interesting. I think it's all that. It's like a big, you know, mess. Um, you do have young people. We've, we've all read and heard about um, the illiberalism on college campuses and the squelching of any sort of dissent or opposing viewpoints. And yes, those, you know, Gen Z's, and even millennials at this point, because it's been going on for some time, are entering the workforce and and bringing that um, orientation with them. And they understand the power of social media, and they expect their voice to be heard, and they expect to be not just heard but listened to. Um, And so they have a a huge influence. And I would say the leaders in the company, they just – 
sort of lack the moral courage to push back and to say, I hear you, um, but that's not what what we're going to do. You know, in my case, she's a mom. She has a right to speak out. And I, I really think if leaders took that stance, it would all sort of be okay. You know, we saw that at Netflix with Ted Sarandos taking a stance around the Dave Chappelle special. He said, we're going to post, we're going to host a lot of different content. And if it's not okay with you, then this might not be the place for you to work. And then the controversy was done. And I don't think there was a mass exodus. Um, they, they, the young people understand the power of social media. And frankly, most of the CEOs do not understand it um, or how to use it or that, you know, Twitter's not a real place and there might be some, you know, controversy for a hot minute and then it goes away and everybody moves on to something else. They fear it and they fear reputational damage from that. Um, they also want to impress their own kids, frankly, is my opinion. <laughs> you know, their, their kids have gone to these elementary schools and these high schools and these colleges and are, are very, very woke, you know, to use a controversial word. And the, the, the CEOs want to impress them and they want to be respected, not just for giving that child everything imaginable, but for their social justice stances. So it's a whole kind of mishmash of stuff. And again, I think the CEOs really want to be celebrated as these heroes. It's, it's again, not enough just to be incredibly wealthy at this point. They want to be viewed as altruists also. So it all feeds into it. And they really do end up um, trying to please that employee base. And I think it would not be that difficult to stand up to it, but no one seems willing to do it, or very few. You know, I think, like I said, Ted Sarandos has done it. I think the CEO at Spotify has done it in the instance of Rogan because they know um, it is about money and there is an audience for Chappelle and Rogan. Um, so I, I think it's a combination of factors. She is Jennifer Say. She's the former president of Levi's Brand. She was on track to become the first woman, first female CEO of Levi Strauss until she said the things that we've been discussing. Also, I, we didn't get a chance to talk about it. But I'd love to talk to, about this with you another time. Retired member of the U.S. Women's National Gymnastics yeah. Team. She's the producer of the Emmy award-winning film Athlete A. That's a whole other topic area. But uh, pick up her book, uh, Levi's Unbuttoned, The Woke Mob Took My Job But Gave Me My Voice. Levi's Unbuttoned is the book. Jennifer Say is the author. Jennifer Say, thanks so much for joining us. Good luck with the book. Thank you both for having me. I really appreciate it. Yes, thank you. We'll have you back on soon. And she joined us on our turnkey.proanswer line. This is The Morning Show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. See Larry Elder, Brandon Tatum, Alex Berenson, and many more at Freedom Summit Chicago. Tickets available at freedomsummitchicago.com. Top of, top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, infamous, famous, renowned restaurateur Wolfgang Puck uh, talking about uh, inflation and labor. It's interesting. I, you know, I when Spago was in Chicago, I never much cared for it, but obviously he is wildly successful. Uh, so you know his restaurants. And uh, here's what he's saying about the challenges of running them in the present environment. You know, the average cost now in our restaurants for food is up 15 percent, which is a lot. And equipment, like I bought the other day cutting boards, for example, for one restaurant. I bought 12 cutting boards. 
I spent $1,500, and then a week later, it went up to $2,000. I mean, some of this thing has gotten out of control. And forget about if there's something to repair in the restaurant, just to get somebody out to come and fix your stove or your refrigerator, it costs a fortune. So everything has gotten up, but also salaries. You know, we are one industry. We employ more people than any other one except the government. You know, over 17 million people work in the restaurant business. And now it's really a buyer's market in a way. You know, the employee said, I want that much money and I will work that many hours and that many days. So it has gotten more difficult for us. But, you know, we have to navigate all these problems and go through them. Yeah, uh, he... Uh I think unintentionally stumbled into an insight. The only industry with more employees in the restaurant industry is the government. Maybe that's part of the problem. The size of government, the number of people that are, you know, not producing anything in the marketplace, but uh, have to be underwritten by those who do produce in the marketplace. Perhaps there's something there. For more on the topic, we're pleased to be joined by John Tamney, editor of RealClearMarkets.com, director of the Center for Economic Freedom at FreedomWorks as well. He's got a new book, The Money Confusion, How Illiteracy About Currencies and Inflation Sets the Stage for the Crypto Revolution. Well, here's somebody who doesn't think the bloom is off crypto's flower at the moment. We'll talk about that, too. John, thanks for being with us again. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you very much for having me on. Uh, how about Wolfgang Puck? I mean, he's not making any you know, policy recommendations. He's staying in his lane. He's just telling you what is from his perspective as somebody who operates restaurants around the world. No, I mean, it's you can't not listen to someone like this. And what he says uh, matters. Uh, my only uh, quibble, and it would be with him, is there are higher prices born of changing consumer preferences there are higher prices born of a devaluation of the currency, that would be inflation, or there are higher prices born of the lockdown of businesses and people two years ago that just set back production and eviscerated production concepts and was particularly brutal on restaurants because let's remember restaurant workers were suddenly just out of work altogether. Um, is it any surprise that he's experiencing higher prices after they eviscerated global uh, cooperation among workers? And is it really any surprise at all that he's experiencing diff more difficult time getting workers? Would you so readily reoffer your human capital to an industry that politicians can on a whim thoroughly destroy overnight? But uh, but if you if you are a restaurant worker and that's the industry you know best, that's the industry where you desire to work generally. There seems to be that there, there, he's also pointing up a culture change, at least for the moment, which is I will work at this salary for these many hours, which there which people like him see as something very different than pre than it was the case pre pandemic. And, and and that almost makes sense. I mean, I don't want to speak for him, uh, but. Uh... Because of my wife, uh, who works in the restaurant industry, I know a former president of her company, and this was a global restaurant company, and she that was her reaction. She said, restaurants, it's rare that a waiter or a chef is married to a doctor or a lawyer. So when this happened, you quite literally saw families, two earner couples, both lose their livelihood overnight. And so I hear you that this is where your skills are. But wouldn't you be reluctant to reoffer those skills except for – unless you could demand quite a bit more in the bargain because you know, the only – the most precious economic gift is time. 
they just stole a lot of time from workers and the ability for them to develop their skills. But that's the, I, that's I, but that's only so long as you can pay your own bills. Uh, true, but would would you be more likely to go back into to an industry that politicians could shut down overnight, or you, might you say, which industry can't they? Skills elsewhere. Which industry can't they shut down based on what we've seen well, from them? Well, no, true, but I, I think you know certainly some aspects of the economy in their own way continued. Uh, restaurants in particular got hit, and and so look, I hear you, but I'm just saying in general. Um, the, the best thing we've got is what we bring to the table every day. Um, are you going to as readily bring it back to an industry that in particular was just ripped to shreds by, uh, by politicians? Again, and we I were. I mean, we were here in I, Chicago because we had the lockdown first and then things got back to normal. And then they said you need a COVID, a vaccination card to get in. And the restaurant industry just plummeted. I mean, nobody went out to the restaurants, and they laid off so many people. And I know some that now work at big box stores because they don't want to go through that again. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you explained it. Um, these people, it, the, the assumption was, oh, well, they're just being paid so much in unemployment. They don't care. But I know, I, I think I speak for the three of us. I would do my work even if I weren't paid. I, I can't get enough of it. And my, my work is worth more than a $1,200 check from the government every so often. And I just I think for some people, the same idea, I just think they said, well, if, if this is how they view us, if we really are expendable in this way, do something else. Uh, you know, I mean, one of the things I, I these are difficult times for a lot of people, but by the same token, you don't want to overstate where we are in terms of the the direness of the situation. I thought this was an interesting chart um, I saw recently the um, uh, median household income in Western nations and nations that are seen as, you know, wealthy. So uh, places like Japan, 39 grand in U.S. dollars, Italy, 35 grand, U.K., 47 grand. In the U.S., it's it's uh, nearing 70 grand now, median household <laughs> income. And, and go ahead. I'm sorry. That's just beautiful. I mean, well, but, 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 no, but, but the, so the point there's so there's two things. There's one is one is it's a testament to the resilience of the. American worker and and by then by extension, aggregating them, the American economy. Um, but, you know, it's always the frustration of, good gosh, what could it be? What would it be for all these middle income families, but for so much restraint on people's productive capacity? Yeah, I, mean, I, I think you put it well. Our version of dire is boom time anywhere else. Let, let's mm -hmm. never forget that in the mm -hmm. 1930s, when the U.S. was in what they called the Great Depression, which was a consequence of government intervening in a natural and healthy economic correction, for the rest of the world, we were booming. I mean, who's that famous Italian industrialist, Gianni Agnelli? He came out to New York City during the 30s, the heart of it all, and said he couldn't believe how prosperous the United States was. So let's never forget that what we know is very different. Um, in this case, I'm just saying um, we are uh, – our prices higher today? Of course they are. Are they higher because of currency devaluation, which is what inflation is? No, the dollar is actually stronger against every other currency. It's stronger against gold. 
Um, what we're experiencing is is the fruits, the bitter fruits, I say, of lockdowns. Uh, politicians are loving that we're talking about inflation because, once again, it changes the subject from what they did. Um, I refuse to change the subject. I refuse to call this infla- because that vandalizes what inflation is, and, infl- and inflation is dangerous. It's something you don't want to have happen. This is not inflation. This is the fruits of the taking of freedom, and, and let, let's just call it what it is. Uh, since you wrote this book about the coming crypto revolution, and since the, not so many people are talking about Bitcoin any, any these days, um, <laughs> what, so, so what do you see happening in the crypto space, uh, you know, in in the sort of near to medium term well remember in the early 2000s when the internet went bust and everyone said oh yeah it's over with that was this this big fad just bubble nonsense well yeah it's all terrible uh but in fact um all that investment uh, naturally was going to produce a lot of losers but now the invest internet is a fact of life it just dominates everything we do and in a very good way i mean imagine living without it today we'd go nuts uh, my strong sense is that we saw the same with the internet, I, with the Bitcoin and, and crypto. I, I think Bitcoin is going to be the Netscape, um, not to age myself, of this revolution. Mm. It was the excitement that attracted a ton of investment into a lot of bad ideas, which is actually information, which is what drives economic progress. And so my sense is the bust that everyone's been talking about is in fact a signal of a very serious market that's forming, whereby we push out the bad, uh, what doesn't make sense is money, and gradually migrate toward private money, which logically would exceed government money simply because government has a history going back thousands of years of devaluing currencies. It's less likely that private money would private issuers of money would do the same thing. All right, all right. So just between us here, uh, Ethereum, Litecoin. Where, where where do we put our money? Come on, tell us who's going to win. Don't tell me who's going to lose. Tell me who's going to win. Throw him a bone at Halloween. Yeah, no, look, if, if I knew, because think about it, if I knew, I'd be a billionaire. Because let's remember, Amazon <laughs> shares. Amazon shares got down to literally something uh, something in in a few dollars in two thousand one. I remember Priceline got down to literally into the pennies back then. And so we are going to see probably the future of this is something you've never heard of. Or if you've heard of it, you're thinking, oh, boy, it's so wrecked that um, it has no chance. But remember how bad things got. Um, This is called economic progress. It's called growth spasms. Uh, The bust is a signal that we've produced a lot of information that's going to get us closer to a private money revolution, which is what we want. Again, Treasury has done a much better job with the dollar than most other monetary authority has done with any currency. But we've experienced devaluation of the dollar. I think private money is about to push government money out on the way to us being able to keep what we earn and not see it devalued. He is John Tamney, editor of RealClearMarkets.com, director of the Center for Economic Freedom at FreedomWorks. His new book, The Money Confusion, How Illiteracy About Currencies and Inflation Sets the Stage for the Crypto Revolution. John, thanks as always. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. 
Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. 